Thanks for tuning in to the Replatform podcast sponsored by Ambience and Clavio. You're listening to the soft honey tones of me, James Gerd, and I'm flying solo today. My co-host, Paul Rogers, is... I thought he was off pretending to solve complex technology problems, but he's not. He's on holiday. Um, hello to regular listeners. Thanks for tuning back in. And if this is the first time listening, thank you for giving us uh, a go. We hope you enjoy it. Do subscribe for new episode alerts, and we'd love a like on YouTube, Spotify, or Apple. So let's set up um, today's episode, and I'll introduce you to our guest. So the topic today is the business case for improving post-purchase customer experience with Narval. We're going to cover building the business case for post-purchase CX, key features of the Narval portal, um, some uh, information around local drop-off point connections that they're working with, uh, touching on things like red carpet experience with premium brands. So I'll let our guests introduce themselves and what Narvar is. Um, so uh, welcome, Chris and Adrian, to the podcast. Hi, James. Hey, James. Thanks for joining us. So, um, Adrian, how about we, we, we start with you? Do you want to uh, give the listeners flavour who you are, what you do, uh, and then maybe afterwards, Chris, you can do that and touch upon um, Narvar and the position in the market? Wonderful. Hi, James. So uh, I'm very glad and honored to be uh, here at this uh, at this podcast. So I'm Adrian. I'm um, I'm based in uh, in uh, in Paris, and I've been in the e-commerce industry since maybe uh, 16, 17 uh, years. Um, I'm VP Europe at uh, at Narva, and before Narva, I spent like uh, seven years at uh, Demandware, sell, uh, Salesforce, so on the e-commerce uh, side. Um, and since uh, more than three years, I also host a podcast, an e-commerce podcast. It's a French e-commerce podcast, uh, weekly podcast. About the uh, news and uh, what's going on, the trends on the on the market. So I'm very happy to be uh, with you, James, and talk a little bit about post purchase, but also e-commerce ecosystem and, and trends. Wonderful, fellow podcaster. Thanks for joining me. Um, and Chris, how about you? Um, what, what's your role? What do you do? And also, uh, for those who don't know Narval well or have not used it before, uh, what what is it? And what does it do? Perfect. Yeah. Th- thanks for inviting us, uh, James. Really appreciate it. I'm a I'm a happy uh, podcast amateur, so uh, so bear with me. Um, so yeah, I'm Chris Hoskin. Um, I'm a regional director uh, in Emir for Narva. Um, I have responsibility uh, for for marketing. Um, I've worked kind of in this space uh, between kind of customer experience, logistics, and e-commerce for about twenty years. Um, so many of your listeners uh, will have heard of Metapack, uh, the label uh, production company. I used to be um, the global VP of marketing there. Uh, but before that, I was with a business called Salmon, which was rolled into uh, WPP, um, part of uh, Wonderman Thompson Commerce. I was there for about 10 years and where we met, James. Um, so Narvar, Narvar is a post-purchase platform. Uh, what does that mean? Well, by post-purchase, we we mean kind of everything that happens after the buy button. So it's a platform that's focused on helping empower brands to kind of build trust after the buy button and in so doing kind of grow customer lifetime value through uh, repeat purchase. Um, so if you think of branded order tracking, delivery notifications, returns, refunds, exchanges. That's kind of the scope of uh, post-purchase, plus a whole ton of other things. And we're trying to create a platform that allows to uh, allows brands to do that in their terms rather than, you know, off on a third-party website of some kind. So, yeah, hopefully that gives you a bit of a, uh, a, bit of a scope of post-purchase and what it is. And specifically, you know, 
Sorry. Specifically, you know, James, on, on Narva, we were founded 10 years ago in 2012. We are the biggest uh, um, company in this space. We are the leader. We are a global, uh, global company. So it's not just about providing a solution, but really uh, pushing the, the, the expectation from the brands in a post-purchase. What is the next step in post-purchase? How do we uh, uh, work in this space? What are the features? What are the solutions that we offer? So everyone is looking at Narva as like the, uh, the, the leader in post-purchase and how we'll uh, uh, cr create this space 10 years ago and now you know, go to the, to the, to the next phase. So there's many solutions that, uh, that, that we have. And every day we work with like big brands and very mature brands and smaller brands that want to go, to go fast on uh, how to accelerate and how to offer the best customer experience in, uh, in post-purchase. Yeah, let, let's, I'd like to drill into that a bit more because we talked about this before we start recording that a lot of businesses see post-purchase experiences as a cost line rather than service. And I think a lot of businesses have got smarter now and see it as a competitive differentiator, but it's still hard to, to get people into. So I'd love to know what type of, you just said about brands, you know, what type of company typically uses your platform and, and what are they really using it for? Like how, what, what type of project are people coming to you with? James, you are um, absolutely right. So when I joined four years ago and we still kind of see it, post-purchase was really associated to the supply chain world where it's a, a cost uh, um, uh, for the for, for the company, for the for the brand. The package is in the center and we do everything to optimize the, the cost of the delivery of the, patch, uh, the, the package and the preparation of the, of the package. In post-purchase and with Narva, we really focus on the customer. That's why I love your podcast because it's about customer experience. We really put the customer in the center and we work on the customer experience. And when you talk about customer experience, it's not just big brands or small brands. Every brand wants to delight the customer experience and want to, uh, to improve their customer experience. So we started um, uh, um, historically with um, high brands or big brands, international global brands that were mature, that wanted to, uh, to expand, that, or they're already uh, uh, global with uh, many con various countries, uh, various brands, various carriers. So we had those kind of uh, complex and mature brands. And over the years, we started to be much more open to the smaller market. And now we work with some brands that are much, uh, much, much smaller. They do uh, maybe, you know, one, two, three millions online per year, per year. And we work with companies that do a half a billion or billion uh, online. So we have like all kind of range of, uh, of companies. And then what do they do? Okay. They want to do post-purchase, but what does it mean? And I think it's important to understand that post-purchase is like the philosophy. It's where we want to, uh, to do. And it's exactly what Chris said. It's everything, the customer experience that happened after you buy the, uh, a product on a, on a website. So it can go for things as simple as tracking the order. And James, you will be impressed of how uh, uh, many brands are offering this. There are very few brands and it's starting to go faster and faster, but the vast majority of brands, they don't offer tracking of the order. So when you buy something online, if you want to check a few hours later, where is your product, you don't have this uh, this capability and you need to find a code to uh, to, uh, to go on your uh, carrier website and then try to figure out where, where it is. The same with the with notification, uh, having like a branded notification. If you have a problem, James, with uh, with an order, should you contact the carrier or should you contact the brand? You know, it's confusing for, for consumer. And depending on who is interacting with you, you might contact the carrier or the, or the brands. At the end of the day, you bought with the brands and you want to, to keep the relationship with the, with the brands. And then there's a whole new world that we are exploring since a couple of years. And that's after COVID really, uh, uh, grew a lot. It's everything around um, return management. 
And uh, that's the main reason um, I, I see like a, a very big and fast pen uh, penetration of, uh, of Nava, Nava on those markets because managing a return is hard. We meet everyday gems, customer brands, big brands that try to develop this internally. They fail. Like we knew this in e-commerce, right? You develop your own e-commerce. And this is the same happening with, uh, with Nava or post-purchase uh, solution. So they need to have like an external solution that will help them to manage the customer experience for uh, return management. And a linked question to that before I come to you, Chris, is, um, uh, Adrian, is, is around the business case. Because, again, come back to the fact that some people still hold on to this notion, it's a cost, it's not service, and therefore an invest. How, how do you work with brands to build a business case for investment yeah. to show what, you know, what, are the, what are the benefits that you model business yeah. cases on? So there's a couple of things, and um, I would say that uh, as I said, with the customer experience, with the, our post-purchase platform, we really focus on the on the ROI. And when we start working with the brand, we sit, we collect information, we scope the project, and we just project and explain, look, based on the data we have, the benchmark from our customers in your industry, we know more or less the impact that this solution will uh, will have. And uh, it can be things like increasing revenue. And increasing revenue can, can come from different ways. Uh, as you will have tracking page, James, the, the consumer will not go on the carrier web, uh, web page, but they will go on your website. So you will continue to interact with them. So it's like more traffic uh, from your consumer on your website because from the tracking page, you can start to push some, uh, some content. You can uh, give in real time tracking information on the order, and then you can continue to engage with your consumer and uh, send them on your, on your website. And we know that uh, uh, existing customers is more qualified than a prospect, right? So we also know this with, when you do analytics and segmentation, we know that those consumers going back on the website will be will have like a higher chance to uh, for converting and will have an average order value uh, higher than the than a, a normal uh, consumer um having data uh, what blew me away is that so, uh, before uh, this uh, post purchase market opened brand had no visibility, no data on what's going on outside of their website, which makes sense. But you have this, those consumers going, tracking their order, interacting with the carrier, and you have no clue of what's going on. So maybe there's a lot of problem with the specific carrier or with something. Maybe there's problem with the, with the, with an order, or maybe they're just happy and, but you don't, you don't know this. So having more data will uh, allow you to better do segmentation, target better, uh, better offer and to understand better also what is your offer. So maybe you want to improve things on your product page or on your checkout, we have you have better data on your uh, on your customer uh, uh, with your customer uh, interaction, and we have a lot of uh, of data coming from our uh, brands where we see also. Uh, better engagement from uh, from the consumer uh, consumer lifetime uh, value because as you um, expose or engage more with the consumer the consumer will continue to interact with you and we shorter the time between uh, two purchases so that's on the increased revenue and we are reducing cost because the consumer we when proactively you communicate about where is the order they will um, the, the NPS will go up they will less uh, they will contact less the call center about where is my order uh, uh, there's a problem with the, with this carrier or with my package or those kind of things because we are very close to, uh, to them. And we see that we saw that with Seasalt, we had like 37% decrease of the where is my re, uh, return calls on the on the call center. And we have like uh, so with Sonos, 50% higher conversion rate. So we have data. We are very confident that it's a no-brainer. And that's why the industry is going to this, uh, this market because the, the, the ROI is here and the uh, brand, unfortunately, they don't do much on this, uh, on this market and it's like a low-hanging fruit. Yeah, the interesting one I've seen with a couple of clients is where 
improved data management and therefore making self-service for customers online, reduced how many people were hammering live chat to simply say, where's my order, what's going on? And the live chat was so good at, at um, being a, a purchase aid to drive conversion and, and order values that the agents were spending 40 to 50% of the live chat time simply answering questions that didn't need to be answered because they could be done through automation. Yeah, so interesting. Um, so Chris, well, you know, James, yeah. you received... Um, a, a few episodes back, Clavio, they were talking about CDP. We are talking about this. How can you enhance the uh, customer intelligence? And so you have the data and you can also, it's not just in post-purchase with Nava, but it can also uh, 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 help other solutions or tools that you have in your uh, ecosystem as a brand. Yeah. Yeah, agreed. Um, so Chris, let's continue the, the theme around like um, uh, returns, basically, which is, a, we know it's a critical part of post-purchase customer management. Returns are a hassle. Businesses have to deal with them, and they do cost. And interestingly, a few re- high-profile retailers have started charging for it. So I, I find that a bit interesting. What I'd love to what I'd love to share with with our listeners is, um, what is your online returns portal for an e-commerce team? What are the features? How is it hosted? What control do they have over designs and flows? Can you can you give us a walkthrough of that, please? Of course. Um, so I think I mean the first thing I'd say is I think you said. Um, our portal i think it's a really it's a really important mind shift to think of this not as narvar's portal it's completely invisible so it would appear like the retailer or brand's um portal so it might be powered by us but it's it's their branded experience that we happen to be powering and that's really important because what we're trying to do is empower those um, those customer journeys, those moments after the buy button, so that brands can own them, deliver beautiful experiences, and so that loyalty sits with them, not a free PL, not a carrier, not someone else. So that's that's kind of the first thing. Um, and you and you also mentioned this notion of um, like charging for returns. It's really it's really interesting. We've we've gone from everything being free. Um, to some things being paid, uh, returns being paid. I think, I think the reality is before the buy button, we've seen a, just a tremendous amount of kind of customization, personalization. Whereas after the buy button, kind of everyone, there's a single returns policy often, and there's a, there's a single experience for absolutely everyone. And so what we're trying to do with our technology and our platform is allow retailers to kind of move away from this era of a single returns policy and one size fits all. So what does that mean? That means um, how can you empower a kind of business process based on customer segmentation? So if I am a the data shows that I am a loyal customer, that I have quite a high customer lifetime value. I have good repeat purchase. Do you know what? We might um, facilitate, you know, easier returns, maybe even free returns for that particular customer. Whereas if I'm, the data shows that I'm kind of wardrobing or if I'm kind of abusing returns policy, do you know what? We're going to create a process that adds a little bit of friction so that as a brand, as a merchant, we're not taking all of the cost for that return, which depending on what you read is, you know, £20 per order or or, or something within that that realm. So what we're trying to do is focus on personalization and try and create a platform that goes the furthest for consumers 
and for retailers. So for retailers, it's about removing cost from returns. And for consumers, it's about making it super simple, super easy, and um, just just a just a good experience. Um, so what does that mean? What does what does our returns technology encompass? So fully branded, we're talking about returns, refunds and exchanges pretty much at the click of a button. We're talking about a network of returns locations, whether that is, you know, post office, parcel shops, whether it's potentially other retailers that are part of a concierge network that allows someone to take a returns back. Um, and then obviously the notification side of that as well. So, you know, making a notification on an instant refund or a proactive notification that's almost like a reverse checkout. So Adrian talked about tracking an outbound delivery of an order. What about uh, the inbound um, return of an order? What's the status? When can I expect my refund? Can I do, can I facilitate uh, an exchange kind of really easily? Um, can, can that um can that replacement product be sent out the moment that i've kind of pushed uh, a return back to uh return back to that retailer so yeah we want to try and create a, a situation where a combination of business rules and segmentation allow brands and retailers to move away from a single policy for everyone to different types of policies depending on what type of customer you are yeah, I, I like that differentiated approach. I mean, I've just had a recent experience um, with a well-known um, uh, building uh, trade company, um, bought loads of stuff for our new porch, but the porch was delayed and we've got an excess of wooden floor and I want to take some back, but they won't take it because it's over the standard 30 days. I've spent a lot of money with them this year, a lot of money on materials, but they're totally inflexible. And all that yep. does as a customer is make me go, well, sod you. I don't Absolutely. want to use you again now. I'll go somewhere else that I know is going to look at me and go, yeah, okay, you're outside the policy. However, we can see that you're a good customer. We're going to help you. Know? Um, yeah, I, I like that idea of the ability to customise the flows. James, yeah. does it happen when you buy online that you first check the return policy before buying on the website just to make sure that you, you are not locked and you have like flexibility on return? Yeah, I, I don't think many people do. Um, I, I think that's the thing. And yeah, we're, we're, I, I'm guilty because by the terms and conditions, uh, I'm not eligible. But it's the inflexibility that that really annoys customers. And I think we, are, especially now, you know, it, economic conditions are bloody hard. They got loads of problems, and and you know, I, there are a lot of people worse off than me. But equally, suddenly having like eighty pounds worth of materials you don't need is an unnecessary expense so i think i think business need to be a little bit mindful at times of of how customers perceive those policies as well but you know james we see our ben in our benchmarks because we um, we look very carefully about customer expectations and more and more and it's a trend over the last years we have customers that are before they buy, so it has a direct impact on the conversion and on the buying decision. They look yeah. at the return policy. And you know what? We have customers like Nike. They work with, with us. They promote return to convert better. It's like, come to us, buy, and don't worry. You can return. You can get refund. And you can have like an easy way to, uh, to manage your, your return. So it also, also can be an, uh, a USP, right? So yes. you can differentiate yourself with dollar brands. Yes. Yeah. Agreed. Um, Chris, another question I had for you is, is um, Narvar also enables people to collect with local drop-off points so you get a wider returns network, which is obviously really important because 
uh, we, we you know one of the big challenges of delivery and returns is when people are around, where they can drop it, how convenient it is based on their day-to-day routines. So can you talk us through like how global is that local drop-off point network? Um, and then if you focus specifically on the UK, how extensive, like what areas does it cover and what, which partners do you use? Okay. Yeah, let's 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 start with the kind of the global piece first. Probably probably makes sense to focus on um maybe the US market in, in particular. Um we're obviously founded in the US, so um let's start there. It makes sense. So um we have something in the region of um two hundred thousand um kind of drop-off locations, pickup points. Um so as an example. Uh, USPS, there's something like 35,000 locations in North America. We're also integrate with all of the carriers. So, um, you know, FedEx, UPS, and um, not only can you return to their locations, but we're also facilitating, um, returns to drop off points in in, in, for example, like a pharmacy, um, so a Walgreens or a CVS, the, the stats around how close, you know, 95% of um, US consumers um, live um, to, a, to a Walgreens is astonishing. So in North America, you can kind of just return um, to places places like that. We're, we're carrier agnostic at Narva. So, you know, what we're trying to create is this network of um, – concierge service points, shopping malls, uh, pharmacies, stores, parcel points, all of those types of things. Um, more specifically in the UK, so again, we're we're integrated with, I, I guess, practically every carrier. So whether it's Royal Mail, who's got something like 11,000 branches, um, whether it's like Collect Plus um, with I guess 10,000 plus uh, news agents, convenience stores, supermarkets, those types of things, or um, I should call them every um, 7,000 parcel shops. You know, all of those networks uh, uh, are available for brands that work with Narvar to give customers choice, to give customers convenience, to push a return back to a place that is local to them, convenient to them. I guess the other piece is, you know, that, that network's growing all of the time. So we're talking to many retailers about opening up their locations because, you know, they want to drive footfall into their stores. And, you know, if you can get the kind of customer cohorts right and the segmentation right, that can be, you know, really attractive for non-competing brands. So we are looking to add retailers to that network um, to make it easier for customers. That's our kind of mission, simplify the lives of uh, customers. Um, but it also helps retailers, right? Because they're getting you know greater traffic into their stores. What is Ampliance? In a word, it's freedom. The freedom to build a digital experience as limitless as your vision. Create, preview, schedule, and manage all your content in one easy place. Find out more at Ampliance.com. Ampliance. Experience freedom. Uh, interesting. So I, I'm a retailer and I can uh, do collection from my store for other retailers, customers based on a non-competitive base. Yeah, that, that's an interesting. I mean, it, there's been quite a few high profile cases in there over the years of likes of Argos opening up for collection points for other other brands um, uh, and all other places doing like Amazon collection. So interesting. Um, 
one quick question actually that, that that came into my head while I'm talking about this. One of the one of the, the the barriers I always see in businesses when they're contemplating this is someone in IT will turn around and say, "But we don't have the resource and time and effort to integrate this." I'd love to know just a little bit. I know we can't get into too much detail because you know we could talk for hours on integrations. But from a high level, a retailer wanting to use Navar to to plug into things like a Click Plus network. What level of effort of integration is required on their side to connect to your platform? So on the integration, there's like two parts of it. And as we talked a lot about post-purchase, tracking order, we will integrate with carrier. Um, so that's one part. And the other part is we integrate with the brand uh, infrastructure, so the mainly the e-commerce platform, but really where is the the, the, the data, the truth of uh, uh, the, the data of truth. So Usually, we connect e-commerce platform and all the e-commerce platform on one side and then the, the carrier. So let's start with the, with carriers. We integrate with hundreds of, of carriers. So today, when a brand wants to work with, uh, with us and say, we, we sell in Europe, Asia, US, 95% of the time, we have all the carriers that they want to integrate with. So there is no effort. They just need to give us their, their credential and there is no technical effort to do for them. In the case, they find a small carrier or a carrier that we don't have in a specific country. It's a work on for our engineers and we work on the integration and depending of how modern the, uh, the, the, the infrastructure of the carrier is, it can be a couple of hours to a couple of uh, days or weeks to integrate. But that's not the effort for the brand. It's our effort and we start as soon as we hear about this, uh, this carrier. So on this side, I'm not too much worried because there's not so much effort for the for the brand. On the other side, it's an IT project, so we need to integrate with um, with the e-commerce, and it can vary from a low effort to a, to to high effort. On one side, we have the plug-in play. We have a plugin with uh, with Shopify. We just uh, you know how Shopify works. We just download. You apply the the, the plugin, uh, the the apps, and then it's connected. You fill in your credential, and that's uh, that's working. You have the return management on your Shopify uh, Shopify store. Then we have for the bigger uh, solution. The Salesforce uh, Commerce Cloud, the SAP Hybris, uh, Magento, etc. We have those um, those uh, cartridges, and you know how cartridges is. There's the myth that it will just be plug and play. The reality is different. It's an accelerator, so it will help you to do maybe a 60, 70, 80 percent of the job, and then you still have to uh, to customize. So I would say like it's from a low to a medium effort, depending on how you want to uh, to customize. And then there's the custom, either because you use an e-commerce platform that we don't uh, we don't have, or because you have a homemade platform, or because you want to integrate with ERP or uh, other uh, system. And our um, our platform is uh, is open, so there will be higher effort on your end to do those uh, those uh, those uh, those integrations. And in terms of timing, it can go with the Shopify from minutes hours, depending on how you set up things, to uh, weeks or, or months if it's more uh, complex. Because remember one thing. Um, Launching a project uh, is just one phase of uh, of the post purchase because often our customers have multi country, multi carrier, multi brands, and uh, during phase one they will release some countries and then the project will will continue. So we have some customers after one year that are still releasing some uh, some some features or some capabilities in some part of the of the world. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that's a nice way of answering for people because. Some of the modern SaaS platforms, you, the the app integrations are what what turns people towards them because the business can execute capability yeah. without needing IT resource. Whereas, yeah, I've I've seen this on on the likes of Adobe Commerce and great platform, but you always need extra IT resource to get it working and configured, and the data flows correct. Um, and then, James, we know the reality. Some brands, they have a Magento in Europe and they have Salesforce in the US yes, and yes. everything is like 
you know, complex. They have a WMS, etc. So then depending on the project. But uh, uh, I um, I don't see the big complexities on the on the project. As I said in my introduction, I spent seven years at Demandware, where the project was like uh, six to uh, nine months, 12 months. Here, the, the project on average are much, much, much shorter. So the risk of having them delayed or out of scope is much uh, shorter. Um, and one of the features I'd, I'd like to talk with you a bit more, Adrian, is, is about you, uh, customers setting up unique triggers in the post-purchase flows. Can you um, give a few examples? So number one, what do we mean by triggers and some examples where customers yes. have used this feature yes. and some interest in flows that they've created? Yes. And again, here it's um, uh, to give you a high-level overview of what is uh, what is possible, especially for the people that are listening that are not familiar with post-purchase. Uh, but as a consumer, we understand this. Uh, you, uh, what we mean by trigger are the order status, and those order status are managed by the by the carrier. Not only by uh, by the way, but each time there will be a change on the on the order, we want to notify the the customer. Is it true? Not always, because if it's going from one point to another point from uh, from the carrier. The, the customer doesn't need to know those things, those very internal things from the from the carrier. So basically, first of all, we are always focusing on the great experience, uh, customer experience. So we will manage what we want to, uh, to to present to them. And then the triggers is really about uh, where is the information and how do we want to communicate this back to the to the customer. I would say that communicating the order status, the return status, the refund status will come from three many three sources. The first one is the carrier. The carrier will give us the information about where is the package, where is the order, and then if it's relevant, we'll push it to the customer. If it's not relevant, maybe we'll stay and we just it will remain the same the, the same status. The second thing is coming from the customer. Uh, you see gems every day with uh, when you when you work with uh, with some brands. Um, some of them they when they prepare the, the package based on the complexity of the product, it can take hours or days to prepare and then to hand over to uh, to, to the carrier. So this kind of pre-ship pre uh, status can also be integrated with uh, with Nama. So we can, uh, and I think as a consumer, it's amazing. When I buy something, I can see your your your, your order is being prepared. Your order has been prepared, will be delivered to the carrier. Your order has been delivered by the carrier, will update you on the on the tra transit, etc. And the third source of uh, data is uh, Narva. We have so many information, so many data from uh, a brands and from those different markets that we can uh, predict uh, when the, the 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 consumer will receive their uh, their product so we think also like this kind of uh, we have this kind of benchmark and ai where we can analyze and so you know what we suspect that this product will arrive late based on customer data carrier data there's a high chance that this product will arrive late and we can be proactively communicating to the to the to, to, to the customer that there might be a delay and as a consumer, we are always, or most of the time, we are fine if there's a delay, if we communicate this beforehand, right? If two days before I tell you, you know what, there's a chance that you don't receive it on Friday, but it will come on Saturday, we are fine. But if you decide to work from home, to change your plan, to stay at home on Friday and the delivery, the day it comes, it's not coming and you send an email later or you don't send an email, then there will be like a frustration from the, from the consumer. Yeah, uh, totally agree. And, and actually it's interesting because uh, some of the premium brands which have a, a product that has a lot of interim stages before the product is ready and they want to do the classic product and brand storytelling around it, we'll, we'll use these. Uh, Jewelry is a great example where a custom-made ring is, is being cut, it's being set, it's being polished, and you have all this beautiful content and bringing people into the journey and being able to, so not just like this status stuff, but also seeding Definitely. content into those those updates. Definitely. We, we um, I love that, James. We... <laughs> When you're asking about custom triggers, we're kind of getting into this realm of like what 
why would you make that investment? And it is typically linked to personalization. And you know, order status is a one thing. You know, really good example. I order a uh, a smart speaker. You know, immediately after I've made that order, like I'm anticipating the delivery, and what I want is information about the delivery. You know, when I get um, when I get a notification that it's coming tomorrow. And when I get a notification that it's going to be, you know, with you in this particular hour slot, typically, if I'm kind of in a non-branded experience, all I'm getting is the data around the delivery. In a branded experience, do you know what? That day before, I can get marketing communication about how to set that speaker up you know what other speakers are going to complement the system that i have because it knows what i've bought historically and that's the opportunity for a luxury brand pretty much for any brand to own own that experience after the buy button by just thinking about not just the order delivery status um but actually what is the consumer likely to want is it a how-to is it an explainer is it a complementary product because the brand knows that i I'm a guy, I'm interested in football and therefore like we should be promoting these things, these subscriptions, these services, uh, these products. And, and that's, that's our vision um, for post-purchase. When the consumer buy online, between the moment he finished to buy and he received the product, he's waiting for the product, he's extremely, extremely engaged with the brand. The open rate of the notification email is super high. So, you know, that's an opportunity for brand to own this relationship. And one of the objections that we hear often from brands is uh, we will not send an email saying uh, you can buy something else while he hasn't received the product. And that's not what you are saying. We are not saying upsell. He hasn't even received the product that we are already trying to upsell. We are saying educate the, con the consumer, engage with him, offer you some, uh, some, 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 some services, some value or, or whatever. And this is working very well for brands that have owned this kind of uh, content uh, strategy with, the, with, their, with their consumer or experience strategy. Yeah, I think that's a nice way, an experience strategy. And at interest in some of the, the more forward-thinking brands I've worked with, they they have a specific owner of, of CX, whether they report into a you know like a, a chief customer officer or whatever it might be, or a chief brand officer, but they own the experience across the journey, which includes post-purchase. And I think I think a lot of retailers have got quite late into the game of understanding that post-purchase is about experience, not just policy. Um, and that's James. That could so be funny. another discussion for a long time about ownership. And I know that uh, maybe every episode you talk about ownership because that's a problem that we have everywhere, right? Yeah. Uh, those solutions that are now cross-functional. Uh, they need visibility, strategic visibility from the exec, but also like uh, cross-functional teams. And it's hard. And post-purchase is another example where you need logistics, business, IT, marketing, yeah. it's a, and a customer experience. But you're right, you have to have an owner, even if even if that owner has matrix responsibilities and doesn't line manage people. If somebody doesn't own the post-purchase experience, then an IT team delivers X and they think they've done their job because it's functional. Mm -hmm. um, you know, a customer service team does Y and the, the two aren't necessarily married up and the systems don't align with business needs and the customer's expectations aren't. Yeah, it's 100% ownership. Um, so, uh, Chris, we talked... Talk briefly just then about like premium brands i'd love to hear about the, the red carpet experience for vips which which Nava talked about i know that premium some of our premium brand listeners will be intrigued by this so what is that um experience what can retailers do using your technology so yeah what what is the experience um you know the the 
the answer is it depends <laughs> um and by what by that i mean let's create that experience based on you know what your customer wants and that will be different for me as um a sneaker collector that's obsessed with Nike to someone who, you know, is a fan of uh, Burberry or one of the LVMH brands. So if we go back to kind of personalization before the buy button, we're pretty good at doing that. You know, there's a whole wealth of technologies that are focused on driving people to the basket and having them convert after the buy button way more immature um, and that's what we're trying to fix so if i'm buying from um if i'm buying from a brand like burberry you know does does that brand really want me to go back to um a news agent parcel shop to return my very expensive burberry jacket is that part of that branded experience that burberry wants to wants to set um the answer is no <laughs> um and when when i want to return something like the brand wants to take some of that um some of that overhead away from me so how about a particular carrier with a kind of white glove service that actually comes to me to pick that um return up from my doorstep and how about me being able to you know book that uh, curbside pickup instantly um so that that's an example so whether it's you know free shipping whether it's free returns whether it's home pickup whether it's a keep the item policy because they're a high net worth high customer lifetime value customer whether for certain customer cohorts we do instant refunds yeah you know, all of these experiences can be configured and um Narvar can power those and yes of course it requires um it might require a new carrier integration you know um a carrier that is um shipping antiques or really expensive um items around you know they have a particular service level they have a particular service it's exactly the same in luxury um so we're able based on segmentation and rules engines to configure the experiences uh, that a particular brand wants to uh, wants to set the the challenge with that is you know some of those examples that I've given you so like a burberry is a global company you know and they want to have a consistent experience whether you're a customer in the UK or Italy or North America America or wherever and so part of the thinking needs to go how do we how do we set that standard um to provide a particular service that's consistent um with our brand our values globally but that that's what we're trying to fix through segmentation and, and kind of business rules if you like yeah I, I think i guess a key takeaway for people listening is you need to have a strategy and a service defined before you can use a platform effectively because you don't solve the strategy piece for them. They, Although you can help support them, um, they've got to understand what it is they're trying to do and why and have and have the customer data there to enable those people to have the differentiated experience. 
Yeah. James, we, we have on our website uh, a report that I really love. It's called the post-purchase hierarchy of needs. It's like the Maslow pyramid. So forget about Narva. You want to do post-purchase, you can start with low-hanging fruit, with basic stuff that you can do in, internally. So this report is for free and it's very visual, very simple. We took benchmark, we analyzed the brands with Narva, without Narva, and we like uh, prioritize and put this uh, this kind of a visual. Uh, 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 we can link to that on the on the web, yeah. web post. I, that's great. It's the first time we've had Maslow's hierarchy of needs referenced in our podcast. There you are. I feel, I feel like I need a bingo scorecard of, of my, my, my childhood learning, my university learning. Yeah. Um, fantastic. This, this, sorry, James, this thing about kind of red carpet or, you know, it, it does almost create this kind of layering. I, I kind of... I personally prefer to think about kind of personalization. So, you know, for some customers, you will deliberately want to add some friction because you you, you don't want to make every return free and yeah. necessarily really easy if a policy is going to get abused. But for some for some customers, you want to offer boxless, you want to offer labelless, you'll want to offer free, or you'll want to offer things like curbside pickup. And it's that kind of, as yeah. the market matures, more of those things will become kind of normal. But there's an opportunity at the moment to provide a particular service for a particular type of customer. Yeah, exactly. And, you, you, you know, there's a few. It's interesting because we had Harper um, Concierge on recently to talk about like white glove services. And you see more and more of these real niche um, high end services for, for for premium brands and their real VIP layer. And yeah. you see how that can tie into the post purchase overall experience. Peter. You know, we've got high net, we've got high net worth, high spend, um, small percentage of the audience where we can do this. And it's a cost. And it, it comes out, out of our calculation of lifetime value and profit. But we can't, you're right, you can't do that on everybody because you just your business will go bust. Yeah. So you have, you, I think it's it's not about um I think sometimes people worry, don't they, that you can't give a differentiated experience because it's not equal, but actually it's not, it's about rewarding people. Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's a it's a real loaded term, this word loyalty and reward, because I think, you know, I think we're almost all victim of loyalty, meaning discounting. I think we're going to come to a point where returns policies will be dynamic. They'll be dynamic based on what you've bought, how much you've bought in the past, powered by data. It's that that's going to power these experiences and make them and make them better for retailers from a cost perspective, but also from a from a customer perspective and convenience and all those things yeah and um i guess what one one key question i've got um adrian is is pricing models so we talked a lot about the portal um the capabilities the flows uh, uh you know it always comes back to cost as we know it but yeah. i work with some smes who are really open to investments there and others who just see right it's a cost we can't afford it it's going to be too expensive this is for yeah i guess chris come back to your background and meta back the people thinking this is for a massive brand i can't yeah. afford this exactly. i'd love to understand can we talk people through yeah. how 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 does the price model work and how yes. how can retailers create a realistic yes. investment plan so I want to start by, by saying that I believe that a post-purchase and I look at the last years and where it's going, it will become a commodity. Every brand will have a post-purchase solution, platform or, or, or strategy, which is not the case. So 2022 was never a better place for brands to start post-purchase. And with Narva, no matter the size, you will have the exact same platform than Richemont, Lenovo, Petatron, Pandora, Dimichu, etc. and thousands of, uh, of brands. That's the first thing. 
The second thing, and again, no matter your size, we offer on our website a ROI calculator. So you don't need to contact us. You can go on the website and you can put some of the so, some information and you can start to predict what will be the impact. And of course, Chris and myself are more than happy to, uh, to spend time with the people that are contacting us. But we have this kind of ROI approach that is based on the benchmark and our uh, customers. We also work on the TCO, total cost of the project, total economic impact, so how fast you will launch the project and how much revenue to generate. So we are really helping brands, again, no matter their size, to uh, when they are convinced to sell it internally so they can uh, build a business case and get uh, uh, approval on this. And now answering about how much it costs, really, uh, we work with brands that do maybe uh, 10,000 orders per, per year. So they are like very, very small and some others that are, that, that are huge. In the uh, supply chain world, the price is based on the volume, on how many, uh, how many orders. Because we are in a customer experience and more closer to the e-commerce, uh, e-commerce world, we tend to think, let's uh, uh, forget the volume because, and also, you know, when we look at the growth, uh, no one knows, can predict how much they will, uh, they will grow, how fast they will, uh, they will grow, right? So we are, we have an approach where, Yes, we take the volume to consideration, but we look at the project, we look at the at the scope, and then we find the price. It's an uh, annual uh, recurring fee that uh, we uh, we agree with the with the brand based on the complexity of the project, the scope of the project, and what what are the capabilities that they want to uh, to unlock. And then we help them to uh, to grow. So. Uh, price can vary really from uh, from a couple of hundred uh, pounds per per month to a couple of thousands, depending of the of the complexity of the size of the of, of the brand. Okay, cool. Thank. I think that's nice for people to understand that the starting point can be the hundreds rather than like you know, tens of thousands. I think that's always nice to know. But obviously, complexity does does impact it. Um, in, interesting comment. I like the fact you said that you see post purchase is going to be commoditized. It's not. You know, it's going to be just a standard part of of, of service provision. Um, Chris, I'd love to hear from your point of view. Then, as a final question. Where do you see post-purchase customer experience going for e-commerce businesses? Chris, don't use meta metaverse world, right? Because otherwise, that would be being a jingle. <laughs> not not allowed yeah, to yeah. use metaverse, cryptocurrency, <laughs> okay. AR. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're uh, yeah. Uh, I'm happy not to use any of those words. So, um, where do I think it's going? Um, I think Adrian's right. I think there's certain elements that will become commoditized. I think, I think if you think about um, you know, headless, if you think about kind of, um, um, you know, how easy it is to kind of share data between um, systems these days, there's certain things that will become commoditized in some degrees they are already. So basic tracking, you know, people are able to do that from a from a status perspective. Um, what's going to happen, I think, is the maturity that we have before the buy button, as I said, in terms of, um, you know, a consolidation of some of those technologies, but essentially around, you know, very sophisticated, very personalized experiences. I think we're going to see similar after the buy button. It's already happening in the track space. Um, but I can't imagine a world where, you know, we talk about returns a lot. Customers are interested actually in refunds or exchanges. So we see a world where um, there'll be way more sophistication in terms of not having to wait ages for me to um, get get a refund to initiate an exchange. Like if I'm buying a pair of luxury shoes and I need to return them, like I'm not I'm not going to wait. Um, I'm not going to I'm not going to shell out another three hundred pounds while I'm waiting for my original three hundred. 
comes to be refunded as an example so way more maturity after the buy button in terms of some of these processes returns exchanges refunds um a, a long way to go in terms of making this genuinely simpler for customers the challenge will be retailers not having a single approach for everyone and and that's kind of what we mean by personalization that will be powered by data that will be powered by dynamic business rules that are captured online probably self-serve rather than filling out a piece of paper and and, and having a kind of one-size-fits-all approach to this i can see adrian waving he, lo- he loves a wave so go for it yeah. No, no. I just want to add one small thing on, on this. I'm an optimistic guy, but so I hope that it will happen. I cannot imagine that post-purchase will not be part also of the sustainability uh, 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 strategy of the brands. How do you educate your customer about stopping receiving everything, like 10 products that they don't need or 10 times the same the same product in a, in a, in one hour? So we can educate, we can select, uh, uh, educate them how, when to receive, how to receive, how to educate them about a refund, return of the, of the product. How can we educate the brand to stop printing all those papers that they add the return labels on the on the package so all those kind of discussion uh, about around sustainability and we know that it's a huge trend that is uh, hitting the everyone on every aspect uh, post purchase will be a key part of uh, of this because it's really about educating the customer yeah excellent um that's covered all my co- i've really enjoyed this episode uh, adrian chris so thank thank you for joining us um if anybody wants to probe you further, wants to challenge you on anything or wants to find out a bit more technically about how how parts of the platform will be used in their business, who do they reach out to and how? It's a very good question. So you can reach out to either of us. We're both pretty visible um, on LinkedIn. Uh, by all means, send me an email. It's chris.hoskin at narvar.com. Um, alternatively, feel free to request a demo from our website, which is narvar.com. Um, and yeah, I guess, James, it would be great if we uh, maybe provide a link to this ROI calculator and, and yeah, people sure. can get in touch that way too. Yeah, excellent. Thanks very much. Um, James, and thanks for- James, I want to say something. So people that listen don't know the back uh, uh, outside of the when we record. You are very nice. You are always you help us prepare this. So thanks a lot. You are great. You are very uh, uh, you know very well this uh, this space. So thanks a lot for the invitation. And yes, uh, I knew that you were nice, and I was uh, glad to have this episode with, with you. So I wait for you in the episode of my podcast in French because I learned that you speak French. <laughs> Merci beaucoup, c'est gentil. Um, <laughs> Yeah, no, I really appreciate it. I, we, we always say in this podcast, we have a lot of um, uh, uh, people from, from abroad who where English is their second language, and it always blows me away how good people's English is. So so thank you very much for taking the time. Um, and thanks, everyone, here, um, for listening, as always. We hope you enjoyed the episode. Keep an ear open for the next one. We drop them every Tuesday. We'd love you to subscribe if you haven't already, and we would like more ratings on Apple, Spotify, YouTube. Let us know if we're still doing a good job with the content. Um, take care, everybody. See you soon. For more information on this topic, head over to replatform.fm for our audio podcasts. To discuss a project, or if you'd like to chat about any of the topics covered in this episode in more detail, please reach out to myself, James Gerd, or my co-host, Paul Rogers, via LinkedIn and Twitter. Thanks again for listening, and keep your ears peeled for the next episode.